Hello, and welcome to the Equiline Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Corin. And I'm Dr. Dave Lundquist. Have you ever read something that was so inspiring that you wanted to share it with everybody immediately, and somebody sitting next to you was bruised from the amount of elbowing you did to them, <laughs> said, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this? Well, oh my God, it explains my horse. That happened to <laughs> us, and we were... Uh, informed by a group that I work with that the Horse Brain, Human Brain book by Janerelle Jones, PhD, was something not to be missed. So I purchased it and read it and shared it with Dave and then bought copies for all the people I love who love horses. So guess what? Today (laughs) we're going to share portions of this with you crediting 100% this brilliant human who, if anyone here knows Janet L. Jones, I would love to meet her and to please um, send her my way. I'd like to sit at her feet and listen to her knowledge. And I'd love to watch her train a horse and do some work with a horse because the book was just fascinating. And now you have someone who is a neurologist. Well... She's a cognitive therapist, cognitive human. Therapy. She's a she's a PhD in human human cognitive therapy, but she's also a horse trainer, and she's also just a, a remarkably brilliant human. Uh, the a little bit before we we tell you what inspired us so much about her, uh, understanding that learning from people who know. She's a cognitive scientist who applies brain research to the training of horses and riders. She began riding at seven and qualified for U.S. Olympic jumping program at 17. Okay, so you say, why would we listen to a scientist about, a human scientist about their role in horses? Because she's good at what she does. And she has worked with horses, hunter, jumper, halter, reining, and Western pleasure events. So when we are in awe, we're in awe because this is not theoretical knowledge. This is practical knowledge. And we're here to bring you practical ways of bringing the horse human canine. And I do believe that someone needs to write this book uh, from the canine perspective. There's a lot of crossover, for sure. Uh, Joan's got her PhD in cognitive science at UCLA. And she was a language specialist on doing research on the human brain's ability to resolve ambiguity in language. Wouldn't it be amazing if we actually understood what people meant by what they said? And she taught <laughs> They'd neuroscience. They'd have to understand what they meant by what they said. 23 years she survived as a teacher. I have no prejudice towards that as one of the most difficult roles in the universe. And what's amazing to me is taking the fact that she is a Phi Beta Kappa in psychology and USEF. You know, let's take those two and how much more can we learn and what discussions could we have in order to make our relationships with our horse human, our canine human, our relationships with the animals we ask so much of, even better. 
So I'm going to read for you a paragraph written in this book. Let us know what you think. I quote, few endeavors teach the same degree of confidence and humility as the daily work of learning to control an enormous but agile animal with mental training, physical conditioning, and emotional kindness. Horses show us how to set clear boundaries, master nonverbal communication, break goals into ordered steps, and practice the best principles of learning and motivation. They teach us to conquer our fears, offer compassion, build trust, let go of anxiety, and behave with transparency. Honed on animals, these skills transfer to human interactions to everyone's benefit. If we all treated people the way true horsemen treat horses, the world would be a better place. I feel like she got into my brain and wrote the guiding light that, that started Equiline. Yeah, it's, it's a very wonderful concept, a very wonderful theory. Uh, the stuff that she puts out in this book has, has really opened... It's opened my eyes up just because of... It's hard not to superimpose your brain on your horse. Yes, and to ascribe motivation. Yes. Uh, you know, we've all... I, know, I don't know a single person with a horse or a dog who hasn't said that animal was mean to me that stepped on me on purpose that animal wanted to ruin my day and occasionally make my day i mean we do we do ascribe positive motivation yes. as as well as evil intent and one thing that you'll learn when you read this book is that horses do not have a prefrontal cortex which is the forethought part of the brain they do not plot and plan. No. It's not physiologically possible. So that pre-thinking and that, and that intent is absolutely something, a construct that we make up to justify rather than learn from what the horses and or dogs do in their reaction to us. Yeah. Because horses, animals just act or react according to their environment. And it doesn't have anything to do with they were thinking about something. Now, they are motivated, and they have emotion, and they have feelings. And that was equally amazing to yes. learn. And horses can read expression. It fascinated me that a horse will react if they see an angry face, a picture of an, angry, of an angry face, face. Yeah, that, that they will put their ears back and feel threatened by that. Remember, they're prey animals. They do not smile when they see a happy face, which is interesting. It's neutral. But they do breathe with their humans, and they do calm their humans, and they do give us a lot of feedback with those beautifully listen. tiny brains of theirs. <laughs> it's just that when we say that a horse perceives the way we do, that's just our ignorance. I, I have studied equine anatomy. I've studied equine physiology. I've taken courses. I've done um, 
so much in the way of understanding how they move. And I didn't know most of this. No. Now, there's so many things in this book that fascinated me. Just, I know horses are sensitive, but they, they can notice the difference between three grains of sand pressure. Three grains of sand. Have you ever picked up three grains of sand? If, they, if you got touched with the same thing, you wouldn't even know you were touched by it. And, it's, and you, when you think about this, in some of the most highly sensitive area of the horse is at, is at the withers. And then you take a saddle and you slap it on there and you wonder why horses stop after a period of time. I wonder why they go forward at all sometimes. That, because absolutely. of the amount of pressure that must be going through their body with a bad saddle. And to understand that they... He, what's, what's most important for me coming out of this is understanding that all of them, regardless of their breed, regardless of, of their temperament, see differently than we do. Oh, so Hear wow. differently than we do and make decisions as a prey animal. And most of us know that, that horses are prey animals and, and they and, are and not predators. And you are the predator. That's the amazing thing. This is a prey animal being taken care of by a predator animal. True. And they also do have temperaments. And there is a difference between my quite cold-blooded horse and off-the-track, you know, thoroughbreds and warm bloods and ponies who... I think probably have to be, have their own book all to themselves. If we stop judging based on our own belief systems and begin to take in data based on what's possible, understanding for me that horses do not have a prefrontal cortex, therefore are not preconceiving. They do, however, remember, as we all know, because they can spook at imaginary objects. To us, to them, they are perceiving difference, and difference is usually threatening. Yes, and they notice minutiae of difference, which Absolutely. was what I thought was amazing. I know that it was possible, but I didn't realize how minutia of difference can, make, can really make them react. When we understand that moving the tractor a foot makes it a new thing. They don't go, oh, that's a tractor. It was over here yesterday, so I won't spook at it today because it is a new experience when it's in a new spot. And so we have to develop this wonderful trust with our animals so that their default is looking to us for, hey, is this safe or not? Not expecting them to reason it and then getting angry and punishing them for not having our warped brains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't how, always make yeah. good decisions just because we're yeah. decision How makers. you react to a situation when you're on your horse is going to make a big difference on how your horse reacts to that same experience. Because that horse senses what's going on in you as well. Because it looks to you for the safety. It looks for you for that comfort. It looks for you for that confidence. And if you don't have it, the horse isn't going to have it either. Which goes to our theory that the only one that you can work on is yourself. We are only absolutely able to change our behavior. The more you understand what a horse can and can't do, and then understand that within that realm, there are so many different types of horse, dogs, 
I'm sure there's cats in there, but well, my dogs are in charge of herding the cats. I, I'm not capable. The idea here is that if you can get smarter about how you interact with your creature and more aware, because with awareness comes more choices. If you only think that you know, spurs and a crop are your choice, then you only have spurs and a crop as your tools. What we're suggesting is as you understand that you can introduce slowly, have the master behaviors in a safe and non-threatening way, and, and I'm not talking about training. I am not a horse trainer. I like to relieve discomfort in the horse-human-horse-canine relationship, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whichever, you know. So the more I know, the more ways I can interface and therefore create the results that you want, whether it's a fun trail ride or, or a Grand Prix. Well, and you have to be able to recognize when your horse is actually paying attention to you, which I really enjoyed that chapter. Because my horse is the daydreamer. Absolutely. He'll so, so by the way, is Dave, the- <laughs> just in case you're wondering how this relationship uh, works. So if you don't have their attention, you can't be training them. So it really takes getting their attention first before you do anything. And because, I hate, yes, yeah. I'm interrupting because yeah. I hate to tell you that if they don't have your attention. Oh, and I, I don't know how many times I've seen riders with, on their cell phones, just going and going and going and going and going away on their cell phone. And the horse is looking off in every direction. That's not training. That may be riding. Perhaps you're getting a little cardio in there. Understand that if you're distracted, your physiology is communicating in those micro relationship ways. And the in horse those knows aids, it. And they know it. And they may not take advantage of it. Unless something spooks them, something happens. Remember, they hear at a, such a higher frequency that when they hear something and their ears go that way, we don't hear it. We don't have to say to them, that's nothing. We have to reassure them that what they heard isn't going to eat them. There's, do you see the subtle difference in how you react? And if you punish them for reacting to a predator, you are a bigger predator. Yeah. That's that's just reality. It's not, well, there was a little judgment in there, but it doesn't have <laughs> to be said with judgment. Uh, so what we invite you to do, and, and I seriously would love to participate with anyone who has read Horse Brain, Human Brain in discussions about this. How does this show up for you in your life, whether it's with your horse or with your dog? Because as I'm reading this, I'm going, okay, this makes sense in all training. And I'm about to start it again because I didn't, I got exposed to it in one reading. Now we want to grok it. And there are so many choices. And if you have books out there that have changed your life, please send them to us. Drop a note to us at uh, info at equiline.com. Do it as a, as a message on Instagram or Facebook so that more of us can be inspired to make ourselves the best 
interactive partnership with our animals that we possibly can. Yeah, if you really want to start understanding more about your horse, this is the book to read. This 100%. Is, this is just a really good start. Um, there's some amazing stuff. If you start to understand the perceptibility of a horse through its vision, through its hearing, through its smell, through its taste, all those things are really important to it. And remembering the whole time that it is a prey animal. And although the title says the neuroscience of horsemanship, it will help you with your horsemanship if you don't care at all about the neuroscience. And if you might be a neuro nerd, you will be happy dancing on every page. But it's not a difficult neurology information. It's pretty basic, I thought. I thought she did a great job at making it really well written for a layperson so they could get through it. There's a few times where you get into some terms. That and it, it never it never talks down to you. No. This is a conversation with someone who's put this together over a lifetime. So let us know if you've read it and if you have something else to share because our eyes and our ears and our perceptions are wide open. And we'll be doing more on this book in coming episodes. So have an absolutely excellent day. This is Dr. Wendy Corin. This is Dr. Dave Lundquist. And this has been an Equiline Podcast.